Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Werbin coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, July the 10th. Coming up in just a few minutes after the break, we will be joined by Phil Shane, broadcaster extraordinaire and the voice of the soundtrack of my kids soccer viewing experience because we are massive fc barcelona fans and uh, look forward to, to having him on here in just a few minutes i don't know if you saw this yesterday senator joe manchin of west virginia um, proposed a bill to mandate equal pay for the u.s women's and men's national teams and it's going to take steps like that in order for us to see progress and change in this country. We are going to have to have external influences uh, get us uh, to take steps in the right direction. We've got U.S. soccer out of compliance with FIFA in several areas, solidarity payments, training compensation, promotion and relegation, to name a few. They are also out of compliance with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee with, with uh, which, which is where they get some of their other sanctioning. So they get sanctioning from FIFA. They also get sanctioning from the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. One of the areas, for example, is not having a strategic plan. There are there are several policies, bylaws, procedures that they are they are not uh, executing uh, within the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. In addition to their FIFA violations, and the that is the resulted in lawsuits. It's resulted in legal challenges. Hope Solo, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team, uh, pushing and pressing U.S. Soccer to to make it right uh, in terms of their treatment of the the women's national teams. The, it's also resulted in in lawsuits and legal challenges with the NASL and uh, and and the influence of U.S. Soccer. Uh, Major League Soccer and the USL in in that uh, challenge, in, it also is in, in resulted in challenges with the Court of Arbitration in Sport, um, where you have league champions not being able to move up because U.S. Soccer has has failed to do its FIFA job and connect the leagues with promotion and relegation. We also see have seen this with legal challenges in regards to solidarity payments, training compensations. Out of dysfunction is is where you you encounter issues like this. Challenges arise because of dysfunction. That's where these things are, are are happening, and we have a lot of them happening. The leadership level within U.S. soccer has just been at a very poor level, and the only way we're going to see progress is is from external uh, influence and force. Um, and that's going to come through these legal challenges. It's going to come through, uh, you know, the U.S. government uh, issues and in, 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 in proposals like what um, the, you know, the, the, the equal pay uh, bill would be uh, from Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Um, it, it, it is also going to come from you. It's going to come from people like you who speak with their feet and their and their and their bank accounts and you know boycotts or walkouts um, are going to have to be a part of that conversation to create enough pressure uh, around the country for U.S. soccer to to act. They they always react. They're they are not proactive in in the way that we need them to be proactive. They're proactive in the areas. Where, where they have their, their priorities and their interests, and that's with Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing. They are not proactive in being a federation for all, every club providing opportunity and access for every person in every club. That is not what they are about. They, they have picked their winners, and they have determined everyone else are the losers. You are on the outside. These, this is our preferred uh, operating system. These are our preferred teams, etc., and the only way that's going to change and be in and open up the, the sport to every community in this country is through legal challenges. It's through the, the government uh, requiring more from the Federation. And it's also going to come from the fans. That's how we're going to get change. And that's how we're going to make change happen. And um, and so I, I applaud uh, the, the senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, in his efforts 
to to put forth before Congress a bill that would require U.S. soccer to uh, ha- have equal pay for the U.S. men's and win- women's national teams. I, I think it's necessary. Uh, it- it's a shame it's come to this, but um, you know, unfortunately, U.S. soccer for far too long have been operating uh, beholden to special interest and not to the sport itself, not for the betterment of the entire s- sport in the entire country. Um, and, and we've, we've got to, to work, uh, as fans, as supporters of the game to grow the game. And sometimes that's going to mean having to speak up and, uh, and, and take action and push for reform and change and, and, and take steps in order to get, um, the Federation's, uh, attention. So, um, re- really, um, I, I applaud those efforts, and I think they're necessary. It's unfortunate that it's part of uh, what we're dealing with with the dysfunction within the federation, but um, it, it's 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 a necessary thing, and and I think should be uh, welcomed with open arms by the federation. Uh, our our U.S. Women's National Team uh, deserve um, that opportunity to be treated equally. Um, it sh- it should never even become a become a political issue they should have done the right thing a long time ago and uh and i hope that they will going forward um our sponsor this half hour is ductic brand ductic makes uh, all kinds of really cool uh journals and uh coaching notebooks uh goalkeeping notebooks player uh, notebooks etc Check them out at ductickbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G, brand.com, and use the promo sh- promo code DWSHOW. Again, that promo code is DWSHOW to get 10% off your order at ductickbrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Phil Shane. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, July the 10th. We are really excited and delighted to have joining us this morning, Phil Shane. He is a voiceover broadcaster extraordinaire with BN Sports, and he is the voice of the soundtrack of my kids' soccer experience because we are massive FC Barcelona fans. Phil, welcome to the show. When, when you look at the broadcasting, in, in you have quite a bit of experience here in, in, under your belt. When you look at broadcasting in the 21st century and, and where it is today to, compared to where, where it has been, uh, what is the landscape like? What, what are you dealing with? What, what, are, what are we dealing with that's maybe different now than, than what it was in the past? And, and how has that affected um, your job and your ability to, to broadcast and provide content to people, um, your viewers, all over the country and, 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 in fact, all over the world? Because there's no country on earth that has more soccer at your disposal. 
you can pretty much watch any game from any country somewhere uh, in the United States. And uh, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So, well, I think uh, when I started back, uh, it was a germ of a seed. Now that seed has blossomed and uh, is starting to bear fruit. And I, I think it's going to continue that way. Maybe it'll be different avenues, different vehicles, different technology, different media. Uh, but the sport of soccer is alive and well in the United States and showing no signs of that changing. So as you see the platforms changing and, and the ex- viewing experience changing in terms of how people are accessing content, um, how has that you know, coincided with the changes with the, the landscape of soccer in America specifically uh, in terms of the growth of popularity, the, the, the amount of people that are watching, etc.? It wouldn't be happening if people weren't watching. Um, I think that sometimes in soccer, and I think the specific situation right now might be with the women's game, uh, there tends to be a, how would you say, a feeling, a belief uh, that this is it, this is the time, this is when soccer makes its way and it's never going to be a this moment it's going to be uh, a curve a gradual one that sometimes has bumps sometimes has valleys um again speaking of the women's situation it was great that what 14 15 million people tuned in to watch them uh win the world cup but that was actually what 10 million less than when they did it four years ago a large part of that has to do with the timing of it Uh, So, again, it's one of those situations you have to make sure you know what you're comparing. The real situation, the real um, criteria to judge by is what happens outside of the World Cup. I remember it was, uh, I think it was either the same day, maybe the next day, when the U.S. beat France on its way to to the final. Uh, And the entire U.S. soccer community was celebrating there was a nwsl game that night that supposedly drew three thousand people um and put the uh the quote marks around three thousand if you're not going to go out and support the the teams that are in your local area if you're not going to tune in on tv um you're just damning that league to failure and we've seen that before in the women's game uh I'm not saying that women's soccer uh, is going to fade away, but you have to remember every four years, everyone's excited about watching the biathlon or rhythmic gymnastics or synchronized swimming. And you don't hear about those sports for another four years. That's not the way to build a sport like soccer. Uh, There are signs that maybe this time might be a little bit different. Budweiser has stepped in and they're going to, be a, a big supporter of the NWSL and help them uh, on their broadcast. ESPN is stepping in and putting them on ESPN plus. So maybe things are changing, but uh, again, you have to make sure from a business perspective uh, that you're looking at the right numbers and viewing it without rose colored glasses. I mean, we're not that far removed from the old line in the NASL days the quickest way to become a millionaire in soccer is to start with $10 million. Um, and we're not that far away even from MLS. I mean, we're, we're looking at 10 years or so, uh, 10 to 15 years ago, where this league almost failed uh, and was kept alive on a shoestring. Um, and the women's game has used the success of MLS, used the success of, from a marketing perspective of some who – coupled MLS uh, and its ready programming with the U.S. men's team, and now they're starting to, to draw the spotlight. So they have a, an amazing opportunity here, but it would be a mistake to think that they've already achieved it. It's, it's an opportunity. There's still a lot of work to be done. When, when you look at uh, your career and, and your work, and obviously continuing to do great work and covering the game and, and, and 
narrating, like I said uh, earlier, the soundtrack of of my kids' uh, soccer uh, soundtrack as well as so many others. What what got you into broadcasting and in and into soccer specifically? Um, what, what was that motivation? Where did that passion come from for you to kind of pursue this as a career and and to stick with it and 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 make this something that uh, you know you you could hang your hat on uh, you know with, with your your livelihood and and your name. Hmm. Probably I was too stupid to quit. Um, I would say it reminds me of the old story. I don't know if, it, if it's even true, but it, it kind of makes sense. That's something I heard years ago uh, back when Dan Rather was still in charge of the CBS Evening News. Uh, went back to his alma mater, University of Missouri, for uh, a graduation and was talking to all of the the journalism students who were coming up and was mentioning the negatives that go with a broadcasting, a news uh, career talking about uh, drug use and abuse and uh, divorce and long hours, low pay and all of these negatives to the career that all of these, youngsters had just spent four years or more studying to become. And the Dean who invited him is just sitting there on the stage and like his jaws on the floor. And then when he was done, he congratulated them and wished them the best. But the Dean went up and asked him why he was so negative. And he said, because I, anyone who changed their mind because of what I said, that he had done them a favor because they wouldn't have made it anyway. Uh, you have to be so focused on that goal. Uh, some people will stumble into it, but even then along the way, there's bumps and bruises and you have to be able to, to, to pull that, pull yourself through those moments. Um, you have to have your eye on the goal and focus on it. Maybe you don't get exactly where you thought you were going to, but you'll get one step closer to your destination. And I think, too many people just sit around and wait for things to happen rather than to go out and try to achieve them. Uh, I grew up uh, living up in, in South Florida, not far from where I live right now. Uh, even though I moved away for years for college and to start my career, I came back home. Um, but I grew up as that kid who would sneak his transistor radio. If people even kind of remember, think Walkman and then go back another 15 years. Um, but the transistor radio under my pillow, uh, and just kind of move the dial fraction by fraction, uh, trying to pick up sports. And, uh, my mom either let me or didn't know, uh, but I would be listening to a Cleveland Indians game one night or, uh, maybe the St. Louis Cardinals or the Yankees and just picking up these signals from out of town. Uh, and there was just something about, sports broadcasting. Um, and there have been some icons along the way uh, in all sports that I've kind of followed and, and looked up to. I went to high school and not on a whim, but for something to do in addition to playing soccer, they, my high school had a television studio and, and radio equipment and used to do it in-house. They actually actually broadcast around the area, like one of the low power stations for a while until they kind of realized maybe letting kids on the air was not the smartest thing, but it gave me the chance to, uh, to learn the skills, but for, it was still fun. I, however, what that did though was say, okay, this is something I kind of like. And when I started looking for a college to go to, that was one of the criterias, uh, was there broadcasting specifically radio, specifically sports, um, was there broadcasting of the school I wanted to go to? And uh, up in your neck of the woods, uh, I was looking, I mean, it looked at North Carolina Chapel Hill, looked at University of Florida, uh, Syracuse was one, um, and, and ended up going to Bowling Green. Syracuse, I would have been able to get into, but I didn't want to wait around for three years while all the upperclassmen ended up getting all the fun, and then maybe 
get a chance to do women's volleyball my senior year. I wanted to, to have the chance to right off the bat prove my worth and was able to do that. And it was fun. It wasn't, again, it, this was not for a career. It was more, I like doing this. And uh, it was a way to kind of uh, blow off some steam from the other aspects of, of university life. Uh, but then it got to my junior year and I'm thinking, okay, well, I have this broadcast journalism uh, field that I'm looking at, but I also want to look at pre-law. I wanted to look at economics and geography, political science. And I'm thinking I'll get a double major and a triple minor. And then I got to my senior year and I just basically threw everything on my counselor's desk and said, get me out of here. Um, and they put all the pieces together and I ended up coming out with a broadcast journalism degree, which is not exactly the way to make it in this business. Um, it gave me the experience, but a lot of times when you're looking to be hired, uh, for all those young broadcasters out there, uh, they'll teach you how to broadcast. Uh, what they want you to do is to bring something to the table and be it, uh, studying law, medicine, business, whatever, but to basically be able to go in and be the business expert, to be uh, the international relations expert, to bring something, and then they'll teach you how to, to put that on air. And I probably did learn more in my first four weeks uh, at my first job than I did in four years of college from a broadcasting perspective. But one of the things that also happened was this was at the flagship station for Rutgers University in New Jersey when Peter Vermees was a senior and Alexi Lalas was a sophomore and Bob Riasso was a marketing genius uh, as well as a coach of one of the up-and-coming teams in college soccer. And the year I got there, he arranged to have a soccer coaches show, just like you have in every college town um, with the football coach or the basketball coach. Uh, he arranged, got the sponsorship, got everything done. And I basically kind of mentioned to my boss, who was the one that was doing it, hey, I love this. I'd love to help any way I could. The first year I helped. The second year, he just handed the reins over to me, and I was able to do that. And people noticed, uh, got some calls from upstate New Jersey. This is back when there was no NASL and before MLS. Uh, basically, uh, USL, the A-League, things like that were sprouting up. And there was an A-League team up in Patterson, New Jersey that said, hey, you, you like soccer. Could you come up here and do a game? And went up there and did it. I think John Hart was even playing that day, uh, playing for Albany. Uh, but it was one of those things. I walked into the locker room and I'm looking at these guys who were among the best athlete, best soccer players in the U.S. at that time. But it was just not the right time to be a soccer player. And they're getting their packets and just looking dejectedly, thinking what might be. I'm seeing that. But at the same point, thinking, someone just paid me to broadcast a soccer game. Um, and it just put that thought in my head that maybe this is possible. Uh, went back to Bowling Green after a couple of years. Uh, started a soccer coaches show there. Same, similar situation happened. Ended up uh, down near, near Cincinnati. There was a U.S. Olympic-friendly um, Alexi Lawless was on that one as well, if I remember, uh, and ended up getting asked to do that game on local cable. Uh, and bit by bit, I started realizing this is what I want to do. Um, tried to do something uh, in Texas, uh, a minor league club in Dallas. Uh, the Rockets had won the USL title and gotten a berth into the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, which was, if you actually knew the situation, hilarious to a point, but it was a great opportunity. And I, I got a chance to, to work with them in the front office. The broadcasting never came around, but I, I saw how a team can work. I got the chance to meet Thomas Dooley, Hugo Sanchez, uh, when they came in with Leverkusen in America. Um, and I just realized this is, this is really what I want to do. Uh, had the chance to come back to South Florida when uh, the station that I had talked to earlier, went all sports, joined them, had soccer in my blood, was able to do some uh, some local broadcasts for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers of the A-League, put all that together, and I guess I was too brash enough, too bold enough not to realize that the answer would have been no. So I piled all of my 
broadcast clips together, sent them to ESPN and said, I want to be a World Cup broadcaster. Um, and they said, thanks, but we already have it. But Major League Soccer is starting out in a year. It was supposed to start in 95. We'll keep you in mind. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking it's one of those, don't call us, we'll call you. But uh, they called me a couple months later and said, okay, well, it's down to 20. Would you still be interested? Called me again a month later. It's down to the 10. Are you still available? What do you think? Got down to the final three. And I was not the first choice, but the first choice was a guy out of Cleveland who could not work on Thursdays. And that's when Major League Soccer's in the first couple of seasons, that was its night on ESPN. So just, you could say it was dumb luck. You could say uh, that it was perseverance. I think it was a bit of a blessing along the way and uh, along with a relentless pursuit of a dream. Uh, and in some ways, that's what it takes in any aspect of life, no matter what you want to do. You can't sit back and wait for it to happen. You got to go achieve it. Uh, you also have to realize maybe that door is going to be closed. Look for other doors that are open. Uh, just keep moving. And uh, from a kid that grew up not even dreaming of being a broadcaster, but uh, loving the concept of it and just having it fill my heart with joy, uh, just listening to games uh, and then falling in love with a beautiful sport back in the days of the NASL when, Ray Hudson was uh, a teenager out of Newcastle playing alongside the likes of, of Nana Kubias and Gerd Muller uh, and against the Beckenbauers, Pelés, and Bests and Cruyffs of the world. Uh, to have those two loves of my life merge was a gift from God. And uh, I've just been blessed to be able to do it and make a living at it. Uh, and as I said, it's nice to know that some people enjoy it, but... Uh, it, if you can do what you love, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to get out of bed in the morning. No doubt about that. Uh, that is for sure. Um, looking at uh, the upcoming La Liga season in Spain, this is a league that you guys cover a lot with BN. Um, and, uh, and you and Ray are, are often on, uh, on many of the calls, uh, that, that we're watching in our house. Um, what, what are you looking at this season in terms of the way the league's going to shape out? Um, you know, in terms of, of obviously Real Madrid had a little bit of a down year from, from their recent years, uh, this past year, uh, Barcelona won the league, but never really felt like, uh, they, they had all the parts right. Um, I'm personally not a big uh, fan of, of Valverde. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously there's a bunch of rumors out there with, with uh, Griezmann and Neymar coming to Barcelona. Um, as you look at the league, um, what do you see for this upcoming season and, and how do you see it shaping out? It's a difficult question because I see it as, a volatile year. As you mentioned with Valverde, he's not everyone's cup of tea. If anything, he's kind of brought Barcelona back to the pack. However, I think there's an idolized view of this Barcelona. Um, you can't expect something like that to last forever, especially when humans are involved because they get older. Uh, they either desire to move on or their bodies just can't keep up with it. And, there is no Xavi, there is no Iniesta, uh, there is no Villa, there is no Henri. Uh, pretty soon there's not going to be a Messi. Uh, things change. So what they wanted to do was to go a bit more pragmatic, try and fill the gaps and get the most out of Messi that they could. And in many ways they've been successful, but at the very top of the game they, they've kind of fallen short. It'll be interesting to see how this year progresses. Uh, are they more vulnerable in league? We saw it with Real Madrid. Cristiano Ronaldo moved on. It wasn't an easy transition, but now with Zinedine Zidane back, you know they're going to open up the pockets a bit. Uh, and I have a feeling they will be back, maybe to the point of challenging for the championship, which 
considering the fact was that nearly 40 points behind Barcelona combined over the last two seasons would be the accomplishment, although Zidane wants to win the title, and I, I think they have a good shot. Atletico could be in a total turnover state. A lot of the more established players have moved on uh, or are in the process of doing so. New players would be coming in. Uh, João Felix, a phenomenal player, but to expect him to jump in and immediately replace a Griezmann if Griezmann leaves uh, is asking a lot. I think it opens the door for some of the other for some of the other teams. Um, Valencia perhaps won, uh, and if they can get a Maxi Gomez away from Celta, I know they got Neto, who at worst is going to shore up their goalkeeping. Uh, I, I think that this could be. Uh, an interesting situation uh, around La Liga because the top teams have been vulnerable a little bit. Some of the, the lesser teams like Real Sociedad has been very busy uh, this off season. And I would not be surprised to see them challenged for a Europa spot. Uh, they got Porto from Girona, Alexander Isak from, Isak from, uh, from Borussia Dortmund, uh, Odegaard as well on loan from Real Madrid. There's a lot of teams that I think are going to challenge out of the gate. I'm wondering how long some of those challenges progress. But I think at the end of the season, you're still going to see Barcelona and Real Madrid near the top. There is a risk of Atletico maybe stumbling out of the Champions League spots if things don't click. Uh, and that opens the door for the Valencias uh, of the world. So, uh, Every year, every possibility is, is there for the fans uh, for success. I guess it all depends upon how you define it. And I, I think La Liga has taken steps to try and level the playing field. Uh, you, you look at not exactly revenue sharing, but a more equitable distribution uh, on the lines of what England has done to shore up its space as the best run league uh, and one of the most exciting leagues on the planet. Uh, and I think Spain is seeing that. But Real and Barcelona have been uh, so strong in regards to holding on to what they feel is already theirs. It's going to take a while. Uh, but I think we saw last year uh, some of the lesser lights challenge. And in recent years, we've seen how in both Champions League and Europa League, Spanish teams are the class of Europe. That's now under threat because of not just the money, but the managers that have moved into England uh, and all of the talent that's moved in there. It'll be really interesting to see how La Liga responds, but I, I think that they're responding in the right way. When, when you look at the league itself in comparison to the other top leagues in the world, uh, which are, you know, all European based leagues. So you've, you know, obviously Premier League in England, Bundesliga in Germany, Serie A, La Liga. How do you think uh, the league stacks up in terms of on the field play, uh, quality of play compared to England, Germany, Italy, and others? In my mind, there's no doubt it is the best. Um, there are, and we can't even discount what's going on in South America to a point, but it tends to be a bit more erratic uh, down there. Maybe in the Copa Libertadores, you see it uh, at its best, but in the league play, it, it can be a bit erratic. But it, I think if you look at what's going on in Europe, a lot, obviously a lot more professional, a lot more stable, uh, and you do have your big five. Uh, and I think from a style of play, from an entertaining pers entertainment perspective, um, Spain stands alone. Now, Italy has kind of gone rock bottom and is working its way back up. Serie A is a lot more attack-oriented than it has a reputation. Um, and some of the younger Italians and now some of the other players, Ronaldo leading the way, coming in. Looks like Higuain could be returning um, Ancelotti doing a good job building Napoli, uh, new owners at Fiorentina. I think that's going to provide a spark, but they're not there yet. Um, I think Germany is maybe one of the best mixes from how you run a league, how you run a team, uh, 
the fans and the performance on the field, but it's not there yet. Uh, Portugal, I wish a lot of American players would go there. It's kind of similar to Spain, maybe a little bit tougher, uh, but just the quality is overwhelmed uh, on a week-in, week-out basis and from a top-of-the-table to a bottom-of-the-table basis uh, by its neighbors to the east in Spain. The closest one is England, and I would still say Spain puts out a much more entertaining product on the field. But just like Germany, England has that added attraction of the fans. Um, it's actually not quite as passionate as it used to be. Um, maybe a little bit of the, the canned entertainment from the NFL and NBA has kind of snuck its way in and fans are just sitting back looking to be entertained in some ways. Uh, but it, it still has its moments of passion. We were talking about that on the football show this morning in regards to the best place, the most uh, formidable uh, place to, to watch in uh, the likes of an Anfield or uh, an Old Trafford or, or right up there. But the quality of play, the style of play is still a little too hectic for me. Uh, too much, too much running, not enough thinking. Uh, that's changing a little bit with the import of managers like a Guardiola, like a Klopp, like a Pochettino, et cetera. And it's like Pep used to say, run little, run smart. Um, you do need to have that intensity uh, because everything seems to be turned up to 11 in the EPL, but that sometimes makes the quality of the game pale a little bit. Uh, again, I think taking that down half a notch a little bit, like Manchester City tries to do, uh, is allowing the game to progress uh, and to catch up. And just the money that they throw at it, the managers that they're bringing in, the quality that they're buying from elsewhere, if if Spain does not watch out, it's in danger of being overlapped uh, by England. And it might be a long time before they could challenge again. We saw that with, with Italy in the 90s. Uh, part of it was Calciopoli and some of the scandals. The other part was just that the economy moved. England, uh, with the Premier League, stepped up uh, and took the took the reins and is driving this vast ship of soccer around the globe. They continue to do so. Um, and I think Spain, for too many years, has just kind of been uh, aloof on its mountaintop and hasn't really noticed the tide rising. Uh, I think they've started to notice over the past couple of years they're taking steps. Um, and they produce talent. I mean, when you, you take a look at the likes of David Silva or Juan Mata, when they went over uh, to England, it's like, oh, wow, or uh, Casorla, who I love as well. Uh, Spain produces players like that by the dozen, uh, but they were rare in England, and you can see what a player of that caliber, that vision, that quality can do. Uh, so Spain is producing its own talent, uh, which means they'll always have a little bit of a heads up but they cannot afford uh, to just rely on that alone. Uh, I mean, I'm getting into my own business myself, and uh, you, you talked about my voice. That's wonderful. I appreciate it. I know God's blessed me with that. Uh, but there's a lot of failed restaurants that had great chefs. You have to know how to run a business. And I think for too many years, um, Spain's been relying on the chefs, and now they need, I guess, the chiefs to step up. Uh, otherwise, uh, things will change and they'll change quickly and it'll be a long time before they have another chance. Speaking of your voice and your business, uh, you, you have uh, launched a new company that does voiceover work, uh, voice acting, um, narration, etc. Tell us a little bit about that project and, and what inspired you to, to launch that company. Well, I, I thank you for bringing it up. Uh, the company's called Voice Goals, and uh, the website I put up, just philshane.com, P-H-I-L-S-C-H-O-E-N.com, if anyone wants to go check, and there's a way to actually click and uh, connect with me so I can send out newsletters, you could ask questions, I could respond, just a way to reach out to the fans as well. But in regards to the business aspect of it, I knew there was going to be a lot of time this off season. Uh, again, ESPN Plus has come in and gobbled up a lot of rights. Fox had a lot of the other rights. And for BN, it was going to be a, 
a little bit slow, so I knew I'd have some time on my hands. And it's something I've always wanted to do, but I never had the time or, I guess, the impetus and incentive. This summer, I did. Uh, I've been doing voiceover work for 30 years, if not longer, even going back to my college days. But it was for other people, like a professor when I was back in college, uh, the radio stations, TV networks I've worked at along the way. Uh, and people have always said, you should do that yourself. But I, I never took that step because I knew it was going to be a big one. And I knew uh, that it would take commitment. I was able to get, for the most part, a good four to six weeks um, to kind of put all of the pieces into place and uh, go out, talk to agents, talk to advertising companies and the like, go out and, and uh, you know this, Daniel, I mean, uh, business is relationships. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time and it might not even be that first door you walked through, but uh, treat people like the valuable people that they are um, and good things will happen. It might just take a while. And again, it's one of those situations where I guess along the way, uh, I've been taught patience, but it's exciting. And I'm really looking forward to this next chapter. I'm still going to be lining up for being sports when La Liga rolls around in, in about a month or two. Um, I look forward to that. I look forward to doing more and more sports broadcasting, but uh, to have your own business is something a little different. I don't know if you, there's a guy named Nassim Talib who, in addition to being like a, a Bitcoin junkie um, and mathematician extraordinaire, is also kind of a, I guess, a Twitter philosopher in some ways. If you have a chance to follow him. And one thing he pointed out, and he's not the first, is that uh, if you do not have your own business, you're always going to be a slave to someone else. And it might sound a little drastic, but if you're always relying on someone else uh, to provide for you, maybe it's not um, on the on the waterfront where you could have been a contender, but you're always relying on someone else's whim changing. Uh, but you go out, you you strap your own saddle on uh, and it gives you a feeling of empowerment. And I've had a very good reaction from people, from agents, from businesses. It's still early days. I'm still uh, putting the pieces together. And I, I, again, if anyone's interested, reach out. If anyone has advice, reach out because uh, I'm very interested in seeing this continue for the long term. But again, just go to philshane.com and find out a little bit more. I'd love to hear from everyone out there, including you, Daniel, because uh, we can learn from each other. And uh, rising tide lifts everyone, and I'm looking forward to, to riding that wave for quite some time to come. Well, you, you definitely have the pipes to do it. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, um, you know, maybe... Yeah, but like, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of failed restaurants out there with guys that could really cook good. That's true, um, that's true. And, and, you got to treat your customers right. You got to treat people right. Um, and, and you also have to, to be patient and prudent. Uh, it's, it's a big responsibility. And I know you've done well in your career to the point where now you, you have the luxury to, to do what you love, like, uh, like this show. And I just want to be a Daniel Workman when I grow up. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, maybe I'll put you on a call with my wife and she'll talk you out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, look, uh, as we kind of come come to the close here, I, I want to uh, close with, with kind of looking at, because uh, I think you have a, a pretty good perspective over the landscape of American soccer and then how we fit into the global game. Um, and when you look at American soccer and, and where we are, where, you know, from on the men's side, we obviously know where the women with the U S women's national team are uh, winning the world cup. But on the men's side, uh, where do you think we stack up in, in relation to the world? Well, the women's side, obviously it's pretty easy to judge. Um, back-to-back world championships is nothing to sneeze at. However, there is a transition, and I think we started to see it in the last World Cup. We saw bits of it here, although it might have been disguised by the overwhelming peak 
of this uh, U.S. women's side, but there's a change in the guard coming. Uh, Rapino is doubtful going to be around for another World Cup. Alex Morgan is even going to be a question mark. Uh, Press and the likes, Lloyd and the likes, they're moving on, and you need that next generation to come up. However, on the other hand, you take a look from the last World Cup, the likes of a Colombia, the likes of a Costa Rica, even uh, here in the Americas, uh, the likes of a U.S. and Brazil are starting to feel some challenges. If Argentina puts the effort in and makes their league fully professional, I could see them uh, making huge strides, just as we saw from Spain and from some people I know that were in Europe for this World Cup that have since gone on to Spain. A lot of these Spanish clubs are starting to take women's soccer seriously. Real Madrid finally has a women's team. Uh, after so many years. So they're going to put money in. They're going to have the facilities. They're going to have the backing. They're going to have something that the U.S. women don't really have, and that's the culture. Now, the U.S. women have a soccer culture all of their own, but it's not quite the same as having a soccer culture. Uh, we saw that a little bit with Brazil in recent years, although the Marta years are now over. They're going to be in transition um, we see that in England a bit now under Neville. We see it in France a lot. And I think France lost a little concentration, if not confidence, in their game against the U.S. And that was a game they had in their hands, but they let it slip away and could not quite fight their way back. I think the next World Cup with the U.S. in transition and uh, some of these emerging nations like a France, like a Spain, like an England, and then even closer to home, as I mentioned, these countries where the boys and girls grow up immersed in the sport, where it's the headlines of every paper uh, if the team loses and uh, players are held to extreme uh, fault if they make a mistake. Uh, it, it kind of is that situation where pressure and heat makes diamonds and there's diamonds being mined around the globe and the U S is going to have a hard time keeping up. But then you take a look at a little gem like Rose Lavelle and you realize, you know what? We can produce players like that as well. So I think Jill Ellis has some work on her hands, uh, but they've obviously done well to this point. And it looks like even though there'll be a transition, uh, there's no signs of slowing down on the men's side. I love and you have to remember, I was one of those ones that said uh, I wasn't sold on Greg Berhalter. I liked his potential, but what had he done? What had he won? Um, at the moment now, I think I might be the only person not blaming Berhalter because I like what he's trying to do with the three in the back, the pushing wing backs, uh, cover with Bradley in the middle. Uh, I'm just wondering whether the players are there. Polisic obviously taking steps forward. McKenney taking steps forward. Adams was unavailable. But if the entire success depends upon the health of one player, it's a very weak chain. Um, so something needs to happen. I think the last year before Berhalter was named was a waste. Uh, and it's now starting to show that bitter fruit that maybe we just don't have the talent ready. Uh, but Berhalter, I think, is putting in a system, putting in a style, putting in a culture uh, that could pay off if there's patience. I'm just hoping that the talent, uh, some of that from the under-20 aspect, some of that coming up through MLS, I hope the talent is there and the U.S. is headed in the right direction. The other thing to consider from the U.S. men's perspective, just like the U.S. women, it's not like the rest of the world is standing still. So we might be progressing, but if they're progressing further, we're still falling behind. No doubt. Um, what progress have you seen since the 2018 presidential election with U.S. soccer, you mentioned like the year uh, without, um, you know, kind of the interim interim year with with Sarakin, uh, waiting for for what everybody knew as the worst kept secret in U.S. soccer, which was the hiring of Greg Berhalter. Uh, what have you seen in terms of uh, the landscape of U.S. soccer since that 2018 election? Have you seen any change that that gives you hope for the future, or is it kind of more of the same? What is your perspective on that? I think we have to wait. It wasn't as drastic as many would have liked. Um, 
I mean, a lot of people wanted Eric Winall to just jump in and tear Soccer House down and start from scratch. Um, and there actually is a legitimate argument for that. But at the same point, if you can do it with the existing structure and the existing foundation, uh, I think that's a big step forward. It's uh, You're starting ahead of the game. I want to see what Ernie Stewart does with this uh, – Development. I mean, Tyler Boyd called in. I think he's phenomenal automatically, one of the top five players in this team. Uh, and he was missed in the final game against Mexico. But it, even though he was born here, he didn't come up through the system here. We need to be able to produce our own. Uh, and that's really where I think we're going to see Carlos Cordero's legacy. Uh, for Sunil Gulati, it was the growth of major league soccer and emergence of soccer as a, as an economic power. But now we're going to get to the point where it needs to be grassroots power. We need to be able to, to grow our own uh, and compete on the world stage. We're seeing a little bit of that with the likes of a 70 million uh, plus transfer of Christian Pulisic. Um, we're looking at all of these youngsters going over to Germany and the like. That's great need more of that and uh it's hard to say be patient but i think that's where we are at the moment um it's just like burhalter after the two losses prior to the gold cup you had to wait till the end of the gold cup and judge him then and and i give him a passing grade maybe it's a b minus or a c plus but uh i in my red pen next to it put the mark shows potential uh, for Carlos Cordero and Ernie Stewart, it's a bit of a longer push, a longer grading period. But that World Cup qualifying uh, is going to loom large. And if this U.S. team struggles to get to the hex, the final hex, in fact, before the World Cup expands, if it struggles along the way, uh, the axe will be out and it won't just be Burhalter. So uh, I'm quietly optimistic, but I'm still at that point where I want to see proof. And uh, this next year will be the first steps towards that. Last question. When we, when we look at uh, the, the American system and, and where we're at, obviously, you know, I agree with you about your comments in, in Europe and in La Liga is my favorite league. Um, I've, obviously, I've seen Barcelona being my favorite club, but the league itself, I, I agree with you in your assessment of that league. And and in during the the Women's World Cup, I, I kept talking about the fact that you know, not yet, but watch out for Spain in the next five to ten years. I think I think it's going they're going to be a powerhouse uh, over this next decade on the women's side. Um, and uh, and I, I agree with your, your assessments there. But when we look at the American system itself, what are we missing right now that is is holding us back either administratively or or from a system standpoint from reaching the next level of 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 closing the gap on you know uh brazil spain you know even mexico for that matter uh countries that are ahead of us in the game w- what are we missing there player development wise administrative what, w- where do you think the 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 gap is and what what do we need to do to fix that the first thing i'm going to do is say it's always easy to spend other people's money um but I'm going to try and do some of that a little bit, and hopefully it would be wise suggestions. And I think some of this is already starting to take place, and there are people in the hierarchy who would like to see it accelerate. Um, the development academies are a great idea, but it does absolutely no good if those people, those young players don't have a path. Uh, we see it a little bit in Dallas. We see it a little bit in Salt Lake, a bit of it in New York City uh, and in the New York Red Bulls where in Seattle now, I guess, to a point where some of the youth products are starting to see a pipeline and none like Dallas. And I really, I know Lucci Gonzalez. I love the the pick of him. Might've been uh, catching a lot of people by surprise, but I think we're starting to see uh, that he is a good manager in this transition to try and get some of the younger players he managed as a youth manager for Dallas uh, to the senior team. 
that needs to happen more and more. And we can't get to the, could you imagine how good Dallas would be as, if Weston McKinney was running the midfield? Uh, but they let him get away just because of the, the economic system at the moment. My suggestion would be screw the NCAA and Major League Soccer needs to put money to the side to basically fill those scholarship voids, provide a stipend for some of their more promising young players, because part of the American dream is going to college, getting the degree. And there is a huge argument that so few players make it. So few players make it for a long time um, that you need more than just soccer. You, you need that for your life uh, 30 years down the road. So nothing against college, something against college soccer, just because the NCAA doesn't care. So as good as some of the coaches are, um, the, the system just isn't set up for success. So Major League Soccer needs to go, you want to go to college? Here's $10,000 a year. You can wait till your college till your pro career is over, or you can do it now as long as it fits in with our training schedule. And if you're 13, 14, 15, you know your college is going to be taken care of, but we want to work on your soccer future. Then U.S. soccer needs to step in, not let Major League Soccer rule the roost uh, and do what Colombia did, do what Mexico did, uh, which is to mandate youth minutes, um, be it through a minute perspective or a game-started perspective. You need to give these kids the chance. Um, it's not always going to work. Some managers are, are going to almost refuse to do it uh, and, and make things difficult. But the ones that, that do it the best and embrace it are going to be the ones that succeed in the long haul. And the other point being, maybe 95, 99% of the players that you put that development money into don't turn into a pro. But what you've done with that 99% is built a relationship and an affinity to the point where they are now fans for life. And that's going to pay off elsewhere in the business. So I, I think, again, it all revolves around the kids. You need to find a way to, to train them better, to hold on to them, uh, rather than let them go to Europe on a free, which means signing contracts earlier, taking a risk here or there, taking a gamble that you might lose, but hoping that you win more than you lose. And by selling off one gem every couple of years, it can pay for the whole system. So uh, Major League Soccer's future is in its youth. Uh, and U.S. soccer's future is also in that same regard. Uh, there is so much talent here uh, that from an ethnic perspective, even a domestic perspective, uh, eventually it will happen just by dumb luck. But with some wise guidance, uh, it can happen sooner. And uh, I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. You and me both. Um, I really do appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to uh, watching your broadcast of my beloved FC Barcelona. Um, we have one rule in my house, and that is you can root for any team in the world in any sport except Real Madrid. So you know where we stand. Um, so uh, we, we, we really do appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today, sharing your, your thoughts, your insight on the game. Um, if people want to connect with you and, and learn more about your company and, and you individually yourself, how can they uh, learn more about you and connect with you online? Well, I'm out there on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Twitter's probably one of the best ways at Phil Shane, P H I L S C H O E N. And again, the new website, philshane.com. Again, P-H-I-L-S-C-H-O-E-N.com. Uh, click on the link. Uh, tell me, ask your question, and I'll try and get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, but it is an exciting time to be in this business, an exciting time with my new business, um, and an exciting time to be a soccer fan, both in the U.S. and abroad. So uh, I really appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you for asking me. It was a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And like I mentioned to uh, to your producers, one of the things I want to do before the end of the year is maybe get my own podcast running. So maybe we can return the favor down the line. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd be happy to come on and uh, and and reverse roles there. It'd be it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds good. And thank you again. All the best. 
Thank you. That was Phil Shane. He is a broadcaster extraordinaire with uh, BN Sports and, uh, and and does great work. You can learn more about his com- new company, philshane.com. And um, if you watch any La Liga, you've heard he and Ray. Uh, Phil is the guy that is... Uh, providing the play-by-play. Ray is the one who is, is screaming magisterial uh, every time Messi shoots and scores in, in our house. That's, uh, that's a moment to uh, celebrate. So really do appreciate Phil spending some time with us today and, uh, and, and, and really thank him for coming on. We had some technical difficulties at the top of the show. We will get those corrected and, um, and, and get that sorted uh, for, for the podcast uh, for you to be able to go back and listen to. So, Thanks, uh, thanks for watching today. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world, and you can be a part of that story by going to charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world we know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth and when you can bring water into communities it truly transforms them it changes everything now you could know that you'd made a difference you could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, July the 10th. It's a talked about at the very end. Uh, we did have some technical difficulties at the top of the show. We will have those uh, fixed. So when you're watching this or listening to this later, um, we apologize for, for that at the very top of the interview and the show, but we will get that sorted and, and back and up and ready for your viewing and listening pleasure. As always, you can watch or listen to the Daniel Workman Show every weekday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com. And you can listen to it on uh, Apple Podcasts and other platforms. Thanks for watching each and every day. One of the things that we are really excited about is beginning on Monday for the next few weeks, we will be on a European tour and uh, we will be sharing more information about that uh, over the next couple of days, getting ready for that trip. So stay tuned. We look forward to sharing a bunch of content. If you're not following on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN, Twitter and Instagram at Daniel Workman, you should do so. Um, look forward to sharing some really cool stuff with you over the next few weeks. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody again tomorrow. Goodbye.